Blog Talk Radio. Arizona, where a lawsuit accusing the state of neglecting inmates' health needs has gotten the green light to proceed as a class action case. That means the outcome of the case could potentially affect the conditions for the state's 30,000 prisoners. The lawsuit, which was filed back in 2012 by the ACLU and the California Law Office, is seeking significant overhaul in the way the state's Department of Corrections confines inmates and treats their health and mental health care problems. The suit alleges this neglect has led to high suicide rates. Arizona Republic has reported that from 2011 to 2013, the state prison system had a suicide rate 60% higher than the national average. More than half of them were prisoners held in solitary confinement, even though they only accounted for 9% of the prison population. To discuss where the case goes from here, I was joined earlier by civil rights attorney Michael Bean. I first asked him to describe the conditions that inmates in Arizona are subjected to. My understanding from reading the decisions in the case um, are that the Arizona prisoners are suffering from very serious unconstitutional conditions, uh, both in the denial of adequate medical and mental health and dental care, but also in the use of of solitary confinement and isolation. Um, So it's very, very terrible conditions in Arizona. And over a two-year period, Arizona's prison system had a suicide rate 60% higher than the national average, which is incredible. Uh, Is it clear that there is a direct link between suicide and and the neglect of prisoners' health? Well, I think that while not every suicide can be prevented, um, many suicides, when we analyze them, and we've been involved in analysis of suicides for decades in California prisons, uh, many suicides reflect failures in the delivery of care and failures in custodial practices uh, that could have prevented uh, the suicides. So many of these suicides are unfortunate. I understand that the rate in Arizona was 38 prisoners per 100,000 in 2011, and that the national rate in prisons is 16. So that's... uh, Uh, more than double uh, the national rate in that year, 2011. Um, That's an astronomically high rate, even higher than uh, the very high rates we've had here in California, which the United States Supreme Court found were evidence of unconstitutional conditions and overcrowding. My name is Elizabeth Fulton. My son, Amare Fulton, committed suicide. Elizabeth Sultan expresses the same grief as at least 19 others who have loved ones locked up in state prison. In 2010, 20 inmates committed suicide, some after being placed in solitary confinement, commonly referred to as SHU. Like 20% of his fellow inmates, Amari displayed signs of severe mental illness. It's a gray area advocates say the state is struggling to address. Growing inmate population that's legally fit to stand trial, but mentally unfit to cope with confinement. Plenty of people with bipolar disorder are perfectly competent, but they're not treated. They don't, if they're not using medication that's helpful, they can become very aggressive or become very depressed. 
they shouldn't be in our prisons. They, there should be a different way of dealing with them. The state's boot the shoe law enacted in 2008 does place restrictions on when prisoners with known mental illness can be placed in solitary for bad behavior. Instead, they're supposed to receive psychiatric therapy. But advocates claim prison officials are finding loopholes in the law. They hold two different hearings. And at the first hearing, the hearing officer finds him mentally ill and dismisses the charges. And at the second hearing, he says, you know, you're completely competent and puts him in solitary confinement for six months. Just how much additional mental health services would cost the state isn't clear. It already costs $36,000 per year to house and care for each inmate. But for Elizabeth Sultan, that extra care is priceless. A prison sentence should not be a death sentence. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to AJC Radio tonight as we get ready to dig into a subject that is tragic at best. And tonight, what AJC Radio will focus on is suicide behind the incarcerated walls of prisons in this country. This is something that is very important, uh, that needs to be dealt with, that we need to dig into tonight. And I'll tell you right now, it is something that is somewhat or very uh, emotional. Tonight, we will hear from the family of Michael Anderson, uh, better known as Andy, uh, 44 years of age, that died unexpectedly September 7, 2015 in Florence, Colorado. Uh, We will hear from his family members that have reason to believe that suicide never took place, but that Andy was murdered. That is something that is a topic that folks really don't want to deal with, but we're going to deal with it tonight here on AJC Radio as we remember Michael Anderson. The tragedy of this loss is just the beginning of the countless people who have died in custody, uh, whether it be in prison, county jail, for misdemeanors, whatever you want to call it. We're going to talk about it tonight here on AJC Radio as we get ready to find out the problem of suicide and alleged suicides and really to make it very blunt to you, unexplained deaths behind the walls of the incarcerated uh, individuals who in this country should be at least watched. And we're going to talk about all of that because when when you're in prison, You are the responsibility of the state. It is their responsibility to ensure that you are safe and that you are not dealing with the issues that we are going to talk about tonight. And uh, I'm Lamont Banks along with William Williams, Cliff Stewart, and Charlisa Stewart. And uh, folks, uh, how are you folks doing? Doing all right. How are you doing tonight? Uh, Very, very well. Lisa? Pretty good, Lamont. Cliff? Doing good. When we we talk about subjects along these lines, Lisa, Cliff, William... um, We will hear from the grieving heart of a mother, a father, a daughter who lost her dad. Uh, When you think about that and the unexplained deaths, and this, again, this is one of many. We're going to hear about that tonight. Lisa, what, what, how does that make you feel? Uh, Again, as, as we talk about all the time, the system is completely broken, as they alluded to in the clip. What is going on in America right now in our judicial, our criminal justice system? Well, Lamont, really, I mean, it, 
it's exactly what they said. The, the system was working. You wouldn't have people taking their lives or dying unnecessarily incarcerated. But this is happening because of the treatment that people get there. They're not treated like humans. They're treated like animals. And then when they can't take it anymore and they snap, that's when they kill themselves. So that's when something like they get into, they put themselves in situations where they're going to get hurt. They do all kinds of crazy things when they keep getting pushed and pushed and pushed. You have to realize that the human mind can only take so much. If you push a person beyond the point of what they can take, you have to expect something else to come out of them. No, absolutely. Cliff, as you sit back and, uh, you know, we, we were talking earlier in regards to a statement that was made, are we safer on our streets in America or in our prisons? Are the streets, are the streets, and now Cliff, you come from a different background than I, streets are not a pleasant place. Depending on where you are. No, but you know when you're on the street, you know what to expect. You know to expect the unexpected. When you have a, uh, a institution, a system like the federal or a state corrections um, institution, this is supposed to be set up for, repeal, for rehabilitation of those who have committed crimes to get them prepared to come back to society in most cases. How then... Does this system have such a high rate of uh, unexplained deaths, uh, so-called suicides, and things of this nature? The abuse behind the wall, as it is called, when you're on the street, you know, like, okay, I know what to expect. Something something is probably going to happen. I'm going out here and putting myself in harm's way. But the people that are incarcerated have been put in the care of the uh of the administration of that institution and for them for you to have a man uh such as Mr. Michael Anderson to say this man was in uh you know he committed suicide there's so many issues with this because first off you have director Samuels that says in the Federal Bureau of Prisons there is no solitary confinement there is no man put in a cell by himself well, then you say, well, how is it Mr. Anderson committed suicide and no one was notified? Why was there not another inmate in there that could have, if he did commit suicide, could have helped him, could have talked him out of it, could have uh, notified the corrections officer, say, hey, this man is going through some stuff. Maybe he needs some some uh, medical or psychological attention if he indeed commit, did commit, indeed did commit suicide. But then where is the, the video footage of well, and why was this man in a cell by himself? That is a question that well, Director Samuels needs to be put <laughs> back in front of Congress and answer. You have people dying in prison. No one was there. The corrections officers did not check on him in a timely manner. And now we have another uh, dead person. And like you said, you know, a father, a husband, a, uh, a, a brother. And here we go again, all over again. Well, he'll probably lie if he gets called on the carpet on that one, too. Well, yeah, yeah of course. course. That's well, what he does. Well, that. we're going to dig into that, and uh, we're going to address these issues. Lisa, read our disclaimer, please. Okay. We want to remind everyone that we are not attorneys and that a just cause does not provide legal advice. You want to contact your own personal legal advisor for your legal needs. Also, the opinions expressed by callers and guests do not necessarily reflect that of a just cause or a just cause radio. And as always, we want to thank you for tuning in and choosing to spend some time with us this evening. All right. Thank you for that, Lisa. And uh, tonight we will deal with some issues. Stand by. Uh, we're going to be having the family members uh, joining us here right around 630 after our first break. 
as we again take a look at the tragedy of suicide behind the wall. And uh, folks, whether you want to deal with it or not, ladies and gentlemen of America, we are facing perilous times in this nation. And until we begin to take a look at those issues and deal with them accordingly, we will continue to see the senseless death of people unnecessarily. And uh, we're gonna. this is going to be a humdinger tonight. And uh, our thoughts and prayers go with the Anderson family tonight as they take a step to have their story told is very, very important. And we're going to get back to that. Uh, on that note, we'll talk to, go into some current news right now. Um, and I'd like to, uh, Lisa, we all, Lisa Cliff, William, have all heard of the horror of Oregon, uh, the shooting, uh, and the deaths of those folks uh, in Oregon. Our condolences go to the families of all the victims that were lost in this tragedy. And uh, President Obama made, became very vocal on the issue of gun control. Uh, William, you've had an opportunity to look into this story. Uh, as far as the fact that the weapons that this this gentleman had uh, the, the, to go in, and again, what we it, it's, it's amazing we see these stories develop every every fall, yes. and then what you have are copycat stories or copycat actions where we got a shooting over here, we got a shooting, and innocent people are dying, and I think it's high time that we stop playing politics. With, in reference to gun control, we are already aware you have a right to bear arms. We understand that. Right, right. President Obama's position is that something has to change in the laws without violating your constitutional right. Right, and I think I think that's the way to go. But I think what you're saying is, and what we're seeing is, there's a bigger picture here. And people are, they're dying. They're innocently yeah. dying. And these are people that... And we're seeing it. We saw it a couple of years ago here at the theaters here in Colorado. Sure, uh, we've seen it. Uh, probably one that was the the that ignited it was Columbine. You know, when you see mass shootings, that sure. was a little bit different. Uh, mass death, but that was a little bit different. But you are seeing this. You're seeing this uh, more often than we should. So we do have to question: What are we doing as a nation? What are we doing? What do we need to do? And stop playing the politics. I mean, because and absolutely right, William. The issue is, is that um, you know you have an imperfect world here, uh, and there are always going to be ways to do the illegal. Yes, there will always be ways on the streets to get weapons, to get guns. Is it a fixable? Realistically, uh, it's not guns that kill people. You're absolutely right. Absolutely. It is the it is the people that pull the trigger. Uh, Cliff, when you think about that side of it, uh, again. And I, I understand the, the, the argument. The right to bear arms. We have to look at the fact that how many lives have been spared because of the right to bear arms. When an intruder came into your home or you were faced with life and death situations on your property or attacked or, got, or raped or something violent would happen. The right to bear arms is the right to protect yourself. The problem is we have to find the medium. Of how do we keep hands, excuse me, guns out of the hands of the criminals, right? And not someone that just had a run-in with the law. Many times, it's not even those folks that you have to worry about. It's some person that you thought, what? I never thought Bobby or Johnny or whoever would ever do that. They were very nice and polite people. That's right. That's so where does that go, Cliff? To the the root and cause of the problem? It's not the guns themselves. 
Though President Obama makes a good point, but how do we as a nation find that balance? Well, it's just like you said, you know, you there has to be some type of medium. The same way you that you put an age limit on alcohol, age limit on a person buying a gun, there has to be a check and balance to, I mean, sure, we're a nation of, uh, you know, freedom and rights, but there has to be a check and balance. You wouldn't let a 12-year-old go out there and say, okay, he's going to go out by himself and get up a gun. He's not of age. The same way you have to do background checks on people when they're buying guns, you have to make sure that a person that's getting a firearm is not someone who, and, and they may not be just a violent person, but if they have psychological problems, if they're having mental problems, and that has been, uh, you know, laid out, that their doctor has said, yes, this person has uh, some some issues, then there needs to be a deeper check into them getting a firearm. And, and, and I'm all for, you know, hey, the right to bear arms. We, we absolutely need it in America. Uh, if the if the citizens didn't have the right to bear arms, then the military could go to arms and we'd all be under under a uh, a tyranny. And that that's just not right. But like you said, there has to be a medium. There has to be checks and balances without it. Then we're just you know, it's it's just it's just chaos. It's, it's anarchy. And we cannot, uh, you know, just allow the nation to do that. And I'm not I'm sure. I'm personally not for, hey, you know. Go pull everybody's guns, put a license on it. But when a person is buying a gun, there has to be some type of check to say this person it should uh, be allowed to have a weapon that can kill someone that he's about to squeeze on a trigger. That's just it's too easy. Sure, and I, I think that's that's critically important. And uh, uh, I believe the mothers, uh, the family members, uh, this is a very emotional topic uh, in our nation right now. As we talk about life and death and the importance of life and the value of life, uh, these are issues that have to be addressed, ladies and gentlemen of America. And, you know, when you send your kids out to school, you're, not ex- you're expecting them to come home and have some supper on the dinner table that evening. You're expecting to get a hug at the door. America is facing and standing at a crossroad of decision that change has to happen. This country has some issues and they're major because they're as a result body bags are being filled and when you stop and think of that lisa as a parent as a mother we allude uh, to you when you send your son out to school every morning you got to know he's coming home what does this make you feel because this is this is not downtown la the bronx uh chicago we're talking about a place called Oregon, uh, not known for its violence. How safe are we? Well, I think that the way that our society is, the way our, our the way we live, there's danger out there. Any way you slice it. I mean, uh, Cliff was talking about doing, you know, having more checks, things done with people. There's, you don't, there's no way to check and see if a person is going to have a breakdown at some point later on. They can check and see if you're okay now, but either way, you have to realize that we are in just our everyday lives. There's danger everywhere. Anytime you go outside, your children go outside, I mean, you're just walking down the street, you don't know what's going to happen from day to day. You don't know what danger you may run up on. They can, there's only so much checking that can be done. And beyond that, when a person has a psychotic break or they have a meltdown because of something that, something tragic that happens to them in their lives, that's not something you can predict. That's not something you can uh, take precautions on. There's nothing you can do about it. So all you can do 
is the best that you know how to do. You go out there and you, you're careful and you be as safe as you can be. Don't put yourselves in any undue dangerous situations, but danger is everywhere. And it's something that sure. we just have to accept and learn to deal with. Well, I couldn't said it. I mean, it couldn't come better from the heart of a mother who understands uh, the need for safety. Ladies and gentlemen of America, this is AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. And tonight, when we come back on the other side of this break, we say goodbye to Michael Anderson. And we question, and we ask the tough questions, what happened? Why did it happen? We talk to the grieving family who lost their son, their father, their husband. The family of Michael Anderson joins us on the other side of this break. Ladies and gentlemen, this is AJC Radio. We take a visit and we take a look at suicide behind the walls of incarceration. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen of America, it is high time in the United States that action be taken, that situations have solutions. Well, in Colorado Springs, Pastor Rose Banks of Colorado Springs Fellowship Church has started an initiative called Let's Talk. What does that mean? It means coming together, talking, working together, whether it's law enforcement, government, Change doesn't happen without talking. Colorado Springs Fellowship has started this initiative, and we have rave reviews. Ladies and gentlemen, every third Tuesday of every month, we will be sponsoring and honoring the Colorado Springs Fellowship Church as they set out to bring about change in the community. We will have notable speakers in the month of October, Bernard Carrick, November, Ron Legrand from Washington, D.C., legislator and lawyer for the Judicial Committee of the House of Representatives and the U.S. Senate. And if that's not enough for you, ladies and gentlemen, the new year holds great things. We'll leave it there, but I'll tell you right now, you don't want to miss all of the things that are coming to Let's Talk, and it's on its way. Let's Talk, Colorado Springs Fellowship, 451 Windchime Place in Colorado Springs, Colorado hosted by Pastor Rose Banks as we bring the community together for change. You don't want to miss it. That's just the tip of the iceberg. Let's talk. is kicking off. You need to be a part of it. Call today at 719-597-8800 for more information. We'll see you there. Ladies and gentlemen of America, the month of October happens to be the National Domestic Violence Awareness Month, an issue that is crippling America, destroying families, and shattering homes. Today, we take a moment to reflect and to remember the victims of domestic violence. We want you to know there is a way out. Ron Legrand in Washington, D.C., the Vice President of the National Network to End Domestic Violence, has set out on a journey to execute change. That is about saving lives, saving mothers, saving daughters, saving friends from the cruelty of domestic violence. We ask that if you have any issues, please call the Domestic Violence Hotline at 
799-7233 as we heal the wounds of domestic violence as a nation. AJC Radio takes a moment to remember the victims and our fight will always continue. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen of America. This is AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. And tonight we take a look into the horror and the question mark, if you will, of suicides of the incarcerated. But I believe that there are circumstances that are not legal, that are not normal, that is causing the death toll to rise in our nation's prisons, in our nation's county jails there's something terribly wrong in this country we're getting ready to take a look at the suicide and the death and those questions that remain unanswered in our nation's prisons and jails hang on to your seats folks and i'm lamont banks along with Charlisa stewart clip stewart and william williams welcome to the program tonight folks and uh, welcome back and uh, tonight we get ready to uh, get into discussion, as we've been talking to earlier, in regard to the suicide and the death rate in this country, William. And as we were talking earlier, uh, looked very troubled by the information uh, that you were hearing. Uh, tell the listeners about what's going on with you right now with that. As far as the, your thoughts on the suicide rate, the killings, the unexplained deaths, what are your thoughts I'm on sorry that? About that? No sorry worries. about that. I, it's, it's, uh, it's really alarming. It's really alarming to me to see what we're seeing, the numbers that we're seeing, um, how they politely use and sidestep the words like solitary confinement and try to politely put a wrap around it and saying secure housing units. Um, it's, you know, really the, the thought that comes to mind is oppression. You know, we were talking in the first segment, we were talking about uh, people dying. And we were talking about the deaths behind bars, the deaths of these men and women while they're in custody of law enforcement. But when you think about it, you really think about just the oppression. You know, when people don't have a way out, they're constantly oppressed. They're constantly held under the thumb of some abusive system. Um, they're treated like caged animals. It's, it's amazing to me. It's amazing to really think that there is no rehabilitation, and Cliff kind of alluded to this earlier. These systems are not designed to rehab people. They're actually designed to cage them, confine them, treat them like animals, feed them like animals, feed them food that is not uh, consumable by humans, and they suggest not do not even uh, uh, feed it to animals themselves. Uh, what do you expect? What do you expect of these people when you, you put them in this caged environment and you say live. I mean, what is what is what is that? You know, what is living in that terms? What is living under those kind of constraints? And so, um, it's it's just a baffling, uh, baffling thought for me. All right, and uh, you know, it it leaves us all speechless. To be honest with you, uh, it's one of those things that are just troubling. And uh, tonight we're going to take a look, and hopefully, uh, William, uh, we're going to get some answers. Uh, as we deal with a very delicate situation uh, across this country right now, and that is dealing with uh, the uh, the situation here 
in the United States. Right now, uh, we are going to um, introduce the family members. We have a total of four folks joining us tonight, Michael Anderson's family. Uh, I believe, uh, according to our team, we have three of our special honored guests tonight. Uh, and we have Billy, uh, Kenny, Terry, and those are the three that are on the line right now. Folks, are you with us? Ladies and gentlemen, are you with us? I am. I, but, yeah. Okay, thank you so much. And uh, I'm going to you know what? This sounds like a little bit of classroom roll call, so let's go down the list and do a little roll call as we get into this story. Billy, are you with us? Yes, I am. All right, Kenny, are you there? I am. Okay, and Terry? Terry, are you there? Okay, so we're still apparently trying to get Terry. Uh, Desiree, are you there? Yes, I am. Okay, and is Samantha there? Is Samantha on the line? Okay, so we have Billy, Kenny, uh, and Desiree right now. Is that correct? Are we missing anybody else? Terry, I'm here. Okay, is this Terry? Yes. Okay, Terry, welcome to the program. I think we're waiting on Samantha. Okay. Okay, so... I'm sorry? Okay, so here we go. Okay, folks, let me first say that we're very grateful that you folks are on the program tonight. And our deepest condolences to the loss of Andy uh, Michael Anderson, 44 uh, that died and passed away suddenly, uh, and we're going to talk about that tonight. And thank you so much in the midst of your grief and what you folks have to be going through. Our thoughts and prayers, and all of the AJC Radio team and our listeners, I'm sure, are holding you folks up, uh, and we we support you and, and definitely uh, are very very sorry for your loss. Welcome to the program tonight. Thank you. Thanks for having us. You're very welcome. And what I'd like to do is uh, give you folks an opportunity. Uh, I'm going to run a, a little bit down of a little bit of who Michael was and the information that we have. And from that point, we're going to talk about the questions in regards to his death uh, that are unanswered. And uh, I've had the privilege of, of, of talking to each and every one of you uh, in regards to this. And um, we have something that America needs to hear, and we're going to let America hear it tonight. Tonight, we take a moment to honor Michael Andrew Anderson, known as Andy, 44 years old, died unexpectedly September 7, 2015, in Florence, Colorado. He was born March 25, 1971, in Moscow, Idaho. He resided in Cheyenne, Wyoming since 1991. He was a carpenter and built many houses in the Cheyenne area. He loved the outdoors and spent many hours hunting and fishing. He enjoyed hiking and exploring, hunting wild mushrooms and arrowheads. And tonight we take a moment to reflect on a man, a father, and um, a son, and a, and a husband who has been lost. And uh, we rest in peace, Michael Anderson, rest in peace. And tonight, folks, thank you so much. Ladies and gentlemen of America, we are joined by the family members of Michael Anderson. And uh, I would ask the question, and I put this question first to Billy, his mother, uh, who said, Billy, you have reason to believe that this was not a suicide, as the prison has stated. Why don't you talk to our listeners and tell your story of what you believe happened? 
Okay, I know that uh, I was visiting Michael on Sunday, and he was scared to death. And he kept saying, you know, that the guards were harassing him and that the inmates were being mean to him and that they put him in the solitary confinement. Um, and that I know Andy was scared. Um, it, I don't believe he committed suicide because Andy was stronger than that. And also, uh, he promised his son and I he would be all right. Um, I, I uh, just, the feeling inside my heart and my stomach, and a mother knows, you know, yeah. um, I I do not believe he killed himself. I believe that he was killed by either guards or inmates. Okay. And uh, during our conversation, Billy, you had stated that, um, and I believe, Terry, you shared this with me, that he said he was counting the days. Uh, uh, he had two years uh, left to go, and he was counting the days of getting out. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, he was... You know, he was uh, uh, looking forward to doing different things and, and going different places and uh, just getting out of there. Yeah, he was he he was really looking forward to it. Okay, and um, Terry, uh, did somebody else have a comment on this? No, I can just uh, second that. Uh, I, I was down there two weeks before. Killed or he was killed, and uh, he was t- counting down the months to get out, talking about you know job hunting, and yeah, it just really took me by surprise. Yeah, so every indication point to the fact that he was looking to come home. Uh, I, yeah. I, I think, uh, and these are these are why the questions are raised, and uh, as you know. Uh, Florence, Colorado, has had a history of questionable conduct uh, at that facility. If you guys went into any other issues while you were there that raised a question that made you feel that, you know what, something is, something's wrong here. Um, and, and one question before, before you go there, what was he put in solitary confinement for? Well, they said that he was chewing tobacco. And I know he was not because I had been with him from 8 o'clock in the morning until 3 in the afternoon, you know. And and there's no breaks. I mean, potty break or something like that, but you don't have tobacco in the potty room. Anyway, uh, I know he did not have tobacco in his mouth. I would have seen it and I would have smelled it. And his 19-year-old son also said... you know, he didn't smell it, and, and Trevor's got a good nose. You know, right. so we know he didn't have tobacco in there. They said he swallowed it. I think it was just a reason to put him in solitary confinement, you know, so they had him off by himself. Right, and uh, and honestly, um, uh, <coughs> if any tobacco was in the facility, number one, they would have cut his break or his visit short immediately if there was any threat of contraband uh, based upon policy. Uh, so the fact that he waited out his entire visit uh, and was talking to you. Um, now, Billy, you did reference something in reference that uh, the guards even threatened you. 
uh, was threatening the fact that they were going to put inmates on him to shank him. Is that correct? Um, uh, that's what uh, I was told by by another inmate. You know. Oh, I see. And rest, and rest assured, folks, uh, you know, inmates, uh, they're the newspaper of the prisons. Uh, and they're the current news of the prisons. And I'm telling you, a lot of the stuff is valid that inmates are talking can, about. Go ahead. I can verify that, Lamont. I've I've been to, um, unfortunately, a number of, of federal institutions, uh, including the camp at uh, at Florence and... I'll tell you, there's a, there's a number of guards there that think that it is their duty in life to become your punisher. Not that being there is punishment enough, being away from your family and your loved ones and and the people you care about and doing the things in life that we actually enjoy. They sure. think it is their duty to be your punisher. And firsthand, I, I swear to God that this is the truth. No, I agree with you. I was wrongfully convicted here in the state of Colorado, uh, wrongfully, and uh, did time um, for seven years for something I didn't do. So the knowledge of how things operate in the in the penal system is very much the same at the state and federal level. Um, you know, and Desiree, is that his daughter? Yes. And Desiree, are you on the line with us as well? Yes, I am. Okay, and again, my condolences to you. When you look at at the situations here where your father is concerned, um, you know, I don't see a father just in this case. You know, I I kept saying to Billy, it doesn't stand to reason that a man, now if a man is facing a life sentence, he's never going to get out. He's miserable. He's unhappy. He has nothing to go to. He is alone. He is destitute. That's one thing. But for your father, Desiree, to be looking at two years, he's counting the days. He's talking about job hunting. He's talking about seeing his little girl again. What are your thoughts about what happened here, Desiree? Well, I don't think he did it himself. Just, I mean, he was talking to his grandkids. He would call and talk to them and tell them, you know, when he gets out, they're going to go do stuff and go hunting and it just doesn't add up to me. Absolutely. And have you guys um, um, filed any type of report? Uh, I understand, uh, and we will t- uh, not talk about things specific to the to the pending uh, litigation or whatever may be pending, but has action been taken uh, in regards to the um, to action in regards to uh, you know calling the prison in question? Of what's going on. This is Terry. Let let me speak to that a little bit. Um, I, you know, I've got a couple, I guess, opinions or observations here. Uh, First thing I'm pretty sure of is directly or indirectly, this prison caused Andy's death. Okay. Uh, Trying to get information from uh, this federal bureaucracy for the average individual is pretty much impossible. <clears throat> I tried, you know, this is, he died on the 7th, it was a holiday. I started the next day trying to call all the numbers that I could get my hands on to the prison. <clears throat> I, 
I wasn't looking for details of what happened or how it happened. Just the logistics. Uh, how do we get him back? Where is he now? So on. Zero help. I mean, zero. Uh, finally had one gal says, well, call the mortuaries. Didn't say who or where. Just start calling the local mortuaries. And that's where I found him. I started calling there. And he, he was at it. And they said, yeah, we got him. Um, so, it, you know, <clears throat> trying to get any answers out of this prison for the average individual about anything, even finding a person to talk to, is impossible. You know, that's, that's my experience. Um, mm-hmm. I know that, you know, be, before he died, he was afraid of something. He didn't confide a lot in me. You know, I think he did more to his mother and his wife there. But the thing that is, uh, these guys in prison, any prison, they they are uh, totally, you know, at the mercy of the people running it. I mean, there's no way you can dial 911 or call anybody when you want to. Or and uh, I know the days before his death, you know, something was bothering him. He was worried, and I know he'd reached out to at least a couple of the guards for help. And uh, not only did he get not help, you know, no help, uh, he got pounded in the ground a little more. Yeah. Made it worse. Yeah, so uh, he, but, and this is Terry, right? Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, Terry, please, go ahead. But, yeah, I guess what we're looking for as a family is, is some accountability from this organization and uh, I'm thinking without some nudge or help, they're not going to give it voluntarily. So, you know, when the person's coming on here, if there's anyone out here that's, uh, that's dealt with this thing before and had any luck with it, know someone that can take it on, uh, we, we sure like some help here. Oh, and thank you for that, Terry. We intend to... Um, blow up, if you will, no, uh, not intention, not uh, literally, but to blow up the Internet, uh, Facebook, social media, every place. And to our listeners, ladies and gentlemen across America, this could be you. You could be the Anderson family that has lost a great deal as a result of injustice here. And, you know, it's not unreasonable to believe, uh, Cliff, that, that this situation rings and smells a foul play here. My understanding, uh, Billy, was that there were even some bruises uh, on Mr. Anderson. Uh, and uh, tell us a little bit about that, then, Cliff. I'm going to have you chime in on this. Okay. Um, well, I went down to see him, you know, before uh, he was uh, cremated and that, and, uh, you know, they embalmed him and everything. And I, he had bruises all over his face. I've got pictures of it. Uh, he did not have those on Sunday when I had left at th- at uh, noon or whenever I'd left. He had no bruises on his face, but he does have quite a few bruises on his face. Oh, and, wow. Uh, uh, man, I'm not sure where else he has them because I didn't... Uh, I seen them on, on his face, and, and, but I didn't see any others, but... 
that doesn't mean they're not there. And there was blood on the gown that he had on uh, in, in the mortuary when I went to see him. There was blood on the gown. Yeah, and it does were split pretty good, too. Oh, he did. His, he had, okay. So it looked like, like he was in a fight of some sort. Yeah. Okay. And and Samantha, uh, are you with us? Yes, I am. Samantha, thank you so much for joining us. Samantha, uh, you are the wife of Michael Anderson. Yes, I am. My sincere condolences to you uh, as a wife. Uh, I'm so sorry. Very, very sorry. Um, Your thoughts on this. uh, My understanding from Billy is that he was excited that you were coming uh, to see him. uh, And he looked forward to that. Yes. Um, yeah, I was um, actually, I was in um, the line waiting to visit him um, the day that he supposedly um, killed himself, and they I waited from eight o'clock in the morning until like eleven. It was like eleven forty-eight when they came and told me to go to the camp, and I thought I I was happy because I thought they had let him out, you know, of lockdown, and he was back in the camp, and. Um, they just took me in the back and told me that he had taken his own life that morning. Um, I know he was having problems, but mom with the guards, something was bothering him. He wouldn't quite tell me what, mm-hmm. but I don't think he did it. And and if if he did, got- there was somebody making him do it. You know, and I, there was somebody there telling him if he didn't do it, then you know. Yeah. Well, there's so there's so many uh, issues with this story because first off, uh, you know they they say there's no solitary confinement that an inmate is not kept in a uh, in a cell by himself. And my take is, if and that is a large if, uh, Michael Anderson had taken his own life, there was someone else in the cell. They would have been able to alert the other guards. They would have been able to get out of it. Or uh, help him in whatever situation. That is a large if. And, you know, when you look at the facts of this matter, uh, it says that um, that you guys, as, as his family, had moved to Canyon City, which is very close to the Florence facility, so that you could visit him more often. And that he was uh, ecstatic about that fact that, hey, you know, I'm, I'm counting the days that I'll be getting out. My, my family is closer. They'll be able to uh to visit me um and then to and not get a report from BOP that right. you know uh get a call that says something has happened to your loved one we need to speak to you you know as as as, right. as, as a decent uh you know system would do but then to wait in line for 4 hours and then to be brought in the back your your husband has taken his life and then where is the written report on what happened to him yeah, have they... and, and to be told so for his father to be told, well, just check some of the local mortuaries. You'll find them somewhere. Where is right. the dignity wow. and the, the humanity, the respect of this is my family member, this is my son, husband, oh. my father that has passed away? Where Where is the human side of BOP that says we are helping you? See, that? that's why I say, you know, there's no rehabilitation in the American We're not system. people to them, Lamont. We're, we're not people. They feed no. us. I've seen firsthand. They feed us stuff that says do not feed, do not for human consumption. Sure. You know the chicken that they give us is the side that they inoculate the chickens on, and you know they, it's meant to go to uh, like hog slop, and they and they send it 
to institutions throughout the country for a discounted uh, tax rate, and uh, yeah. you know that's that's what they do. We're we're numbers to them. We're cattle. It's you know it's it's a sham. There's corporations like Unicor that are capitalizing on our incarceration, and the money that they make on our commissary is astronomical. Sure. It's astronomical. Well, I'll tell you this, uh, folks, and Samantha. Um, have they? And to, uh, this is to, the question to all of you: Have they given you anything as far as an incident report, a copy of an incident report? Uh, no, I haven't, we haven't got anything. No paperwork, nothing. Not well, even when they sent his personal belongings to me, did I get any paperwork, even for like from his court hearing as to why he was there. He has no paperwork whatsoever. So they have treated this man as if he belonged in Potter's Field, that he had no family, that he had no one. Um, this is this is tragic. And, and and furthermore, not to cut you off, Lamont, but uh one of our one of our listeners in the chat room has brought this issue up is that how does a medical examiner say this is a suicide when you bring in a bruised body? A bruised body. Does, does a suicide victim punch themselves several times in the face? Is that that is not committing suicide. That is an assault, it's an assault that probably led to death. How does a medical examiner, unless you're in the pocket of the Florence Bureau of Prison System, how does a sure. medical examiner sign off and say this man committed suicide? Where is the autopsy report? Where is any of the information, where is the, the the official documentation that says this is a suicide? Because all of this information does not, I mean, if you, you take all this and you put it together, it does not say that a suicide. None of it makes sense. I mean, nothing about this story makes sense. Everything points to the fact that this man has set his sights on getting out, moving forward, Reestablishing himself in the community. Nothing says suicide on this. I mean, and 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 again, you know, I'm I'm sitting here listening to this, and Billy, you pointed out the fact you you visited him days before. He was okay. Yeah. He was scared. I mean, he was a little, you know, what he was dealing with then. But there was no bruising. There was no split lips. There was there was nothing that showed that he had been in a conflict. And so then. And 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 Terry, I, I was listening to you. I mean, to to not even know where the body was, you have to call around and find out where your son's body's at, um, and, and then to discover the fact that when I we get there, he's bruised. He's his face, his lips split. Obviously, he's been in some kind of of altercation inside prison. Days, just a small window of time has passed. Since you've seen him. But this man, everything I'm reading here, this man was looking forward to getting out, reestablishing himself with his family, reestablishing these bonds, looking for a job. Nothing here says, I'm going to commit suicide. Well, there's no warning signs. No. Um, well, there aren't any. Well, there, but there's no warning signs because the contention, and I believe, is that this man's life was taken from him. There's no warning signs to murder. Uh, there is no behavior to an unexpected killing. And uh, I'll tell you what, Terry, you said earlier, we need somebody to help. Ladies and gentlemen, you folks that may be listening to this program tonight, we ask that you reach out uh, to AJC as well as the Anderson family. 
Uh, you have an extended family tonight, ladies and gentlemen, and the Anderson, uh, this is to the Anderson family, to Billy, to Kenny, Terry, Samantha, Desiree. That extended family now is with AJC Radio and the Yes Calls. Uh, we will seek justice for Michael Anderson. Uh, so we, we do have an opportunity. Uh, we have inroads in Washington and in the, in, the, in the halls of Congress to ask the questions because human life matters. And Michael Anderson's life mattered, and we will do everything, Lisa, uh, as we have uh, sought out to seek justice. Uh, uh, talk to the Anderson family that they have our support. Oh, absolutely, 100%. We're behind you guys. I, I have a question that I'd like to ask um, uh, to um, to Billy, his mother. Uh, you said that uh, you had you had you had seen him just what we say a couple a weeks day. before. Oh, was it the day before? It was the day before, yeah. I'd gone up and I'd seen him Saturday, and then I seen him again Sunday. And uh, I told him that his wife would be there the next day to see him. And he was, you know, yeah. I had just seen him the the day before this all happened. And he was happy about that, was he not? About his wife coming. Well, he was happy, but he was scared and he was tearful because he was so afraid. You and know. now, did, did he tell you that he had that he had been threatened? Is that why he was afraid? Yes, and he also he said, "Mama, I asked the guard to to get me uh, somebody uh, to talk to, get an antidepressant so I could cope better." And he told me to shut my my uh, pussy mouth. You know. Wow. Okay. Not, uh, and he was really mean to him, you know, really mean to him. The guard was, I, you know, and and he tried several times to get people to help him, you know. Yes. Yeah, I th- I think it's 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 horrible to to have a family going through something like this unnecessarily. I mean, I I don't believe for a minute that uh, as a mother talking to your son, if he was. Uh, leading in the direction of suicide. I mean, yeah, he he can be afraid, he can be upset. That doesn't mean he's going to kill himself. And I think uh, most mothers, I think, would know that. They would have a feeling that, hey, something's really, really wrong with him. Something's really off here. I think as a mother myself, I think you would know that. I don't believe that you could spend time with him the day before and not know if if he was in that kind of condition. Yeah, let me chime in. This, this is Terry there, I and mean, Billy can uh, verify this, but she seen him all day Saturday, but only two hours in the morning on Sunday, and that's because they had locked him down the day before. Uh, so, uh, yeah, he, he was upset and uh, uh, worried. I, you know, I think he told somebody that the guards had, was having fun with him after they locked him up, telling him he's going to be here six months and they're going to transfer into a higher security prison and stuff like it. Just having a heyday. And, and what people need to understand is he, he was a little different than the average uh, felon in prison there. He's a, he a sensitive guy. He's a small guy. I don't know. He's a five, 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 six. And, uh, I'm thinking he had, he had a conscience too, and that bothered him a lot. And I think he was just a an easy target 
for the guards or you know, other inmates, and they took advantage of it, you know. Well, so anyway. And um, Billy, you had something to add with that? Yes, I, I was going to say, yes, he did. He told me that they had told him he'd be in there at least six months in the hole. And that they were going to they were going to put him in a minimum security prison instead of the minimum or the the, the medium security mm-hmm. instead of the minimum, and he was he was really scared and he took everything these creeps said well, he to had, heart. And he had oh. never been in trouble before. He had never been in jail, you know. He was in jail for a couple hours, but never no amount of time. So no criminal record at all for Mr. Anderson. History. No. no record. Uh, Samantha, were you getting ready to say something? Um, no, I was. I just said that he was never in jail, and he didn't have no criminal history. So, you know, he he wasn't like your everyday criminal. You know what I mean? I mean, there's a sure. difference between a criminal and a non-criminal. Right, and 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 they said he had two years left. Uh, Samantha, Billy, uh, the family, two years left. Uh, and what was he? If you don't mind me asking, what was he in for? Um, for distribution, conspiracy of to distribute meth. Okay, all right. Uh, which they never right found now, Andy with with any drugs, any money. No, no, it was just people saying that Andy was involved, and that's it. You know, and right. the only right. thing Andy did wrong was Andy was addicted, and that's it. And guess what, folks? Right. If Andy had a drug problem, they should have given given him help. That's right. You that's don't right. And not prison. prison. See, that's that's what right. the nation. The nation right now, folks, is dealing with this issue right now. Right now, they intend to release over 6,000 inmates across the country who should have never been in prison in drug-related charges. And I think it speaks to the condition of this country. Absolutely. If Andy had an addiction, he needs medical attention. He needs psychological attention to beat his addiction. A, a, a meth charge is not a death sentence. You don't give some and, and Andy suffered a death sentence for a minimum crime. That's not right. No matter how you look at it, and it's a it's a wrong situation. Um, we are going to fight as hard as we can for Michael Anderson and, and you as his family. And we cannot say how so very very sorry that we are for the loss that you have suffered here. Um, is there anything else any of you wanted to tell the American people as we? dig into this this tragedy. No, I would just wonder it all I always wonder, um, if I wasn't there in the row of line waiting to visit him, if they would have contacted anybody or how long it would have been before they called us. Right. To tell us, you know, that he was gone or Sure. You know, because I, I mean, after four hours, you know, I still don't know what time or when or we don't know anything about, you know. Yes. No, I understand so. that. And you know what? I, th- I think that those are the things that uh, that really leave us baffled. And uh, we have a um, uh, we're going to have an opportunity uh, to dig into this even further, not only while you're on the air. 
but while we, when we go off the air, we are going to dig into the problem that's that that this is a major problem, and I think Lisa, it's an idea for us uh, to contact uh, to contact Washington to do what we need to do. We have a, a caller that would like to talk to you folks, and uh, Cliff, who do we have? Yes, we have the uh, troops on the line that would like to uh, talk to the family about this uh, this tragedy. Uh, Truth, go ahead. You're live. Yes, my condolences, first of all, to the family and this terrible, terrible loss. I was thinking, when do you, by now, you would have thought that you would have got a, 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 do you have a death certificate yet? No. No. No death certificate. No. We haven't got that nothing. Is, nope. That's we no strange. I think they did a a preliminary just so he could be cremated, but the last I heard, they was waiting on the uh, toxicology report before issuing the final. Okay. And then then another thing I want to know is why couldn't you as the family been told where his body was at what mortuary what his where his body was set. You gonna tell a person going through a, a a horrible situation like this, just call around till you find it. You know where you took that body. Yeah, yeah exactly. And when something like this happens at these federal institutions, a, a, a there's a firewall, a huge brick brick wall goes up, and the average person, you cannot find out anything. You cannot talk to anyone that knows anything. That's just the way it's set up. They're circling circling the wagons, you know. That is so sad. That's so sad to me that you had to make calls until you could find where your son or your husband was uh, because we're not going to even tell you that. Well, I mean, how cruel and uncaring is that? I mean, do you yeah. do they care? It seems they, they don't care at all. Yeah, pretty sad. There. And that's, that's the, the thing that uh, keeps me from sleeping at night is um, the why and who's responsible. And I don't know if we'll ever find that out. It'd be nice yeah. to have some responsibility here. <laughs> Yeah, because I just think that something needs to be done about the way they treat uh, inmates. They they treat them like they're like they're animals, not like they're not human beings. And I think it's terrible unless that person is really uh, doing a lot of things in the prison, hard to control, and all of this. But what but from hearing you. Uh, he wasn't that type of person. And, and no, he, family, didn't have, he didn't have a violent bone in his body. You know, he really didn't. And he was a lovable little stinker. He really was. He just he made some poor choices, and, you know, he paid dearly for them. Yes. Well, I just think that something ought to be done about about the fact after uh, after this time has passed, that you don't have a death certificate and and they leave you to locate the body yourself 
shows a cold, callous way of treating families. I mean, families have a right to know. Yeah, everybody involved in this uh, that I've had any contact with, there's, <clears throat> I found no one that really had a conscience, and that's just the way they are. Well, well our, prayers with, our prayers are with you and your family, and I hope that something in the future can change the way inmates are treated. And I know there may be some that that is uh, out of control or whatever. But you have a son that is really not causing any real issues or whatever. Why then are they treated very badly? And I don't understand if you've got some inmates in the prison who are model prisoners and they're not they're not causing any problems. Why are they treated like they they've done a bunch of bad things in the prison? It is there's so many things questionable about this situation and I just want you to know that we're praying for you and and hoping for the best and the pain that you must be in and the unanswered questions add to that pain. Because who can tell me what really happened to my son? That is so sad. But we will be praying for you. Thank you for coming on the show and letting us know what happened to you. Because then it makes you wonder how many times this has been carried out with other families who are going through a difficult time. But we're praying for you. God bless you and, and your family. And somehow he will help you to get through all this situation. And maybe at some point, and don't know when, that you'll get some answers. Thank so. you. Bless you. Okay, and thank you so much for that uh, for that call. Um, and uh, to the Anderson family, are you guys limited on time tonight? Uh, we know we've had, we had you here a little while. Are you needing to go and handle things, or are you able to stay with us a little longer? I, I can stay a little longer, Billy. Really. Okay. The I'm rest fine. The- okay. Yeah, I'm good. Please. I don't. Yeah, I'm. Okay. I'm good. I don't have nothing to do. Okay. Well, what we're going to do on the other side of this break, we're going to come back with uh, a couple of callers. They have questions, and and uh, this is this is going to bring awareness, I believe, to the American people to give you folks an opportunity to take a little breather, stretch, or do whatever you need to do, grab some water, or whatever. But tonight, we take a moment to honor Michael Anderson, ladies and gentlemen of America, and the family has chosen to speak out. We believe murder took place here. And we ask the tough questions, and we are seeking for answers, just as the family is tonight. We'll be right back with you as we honor Michael Anderson. We'll be right back. justice system in America. Well, on October 20th, Bernard Carrick, former NYPD commissioner and first responder to 9-11, made an impact on the country appointed by the president for various security issues. He's coming to Colorado Springs October 20th at 7 p.m. at the Colorado Springs Fellowship Church, hosted by Pastor Rose Banks, located at 451 Winchime Place. Call today, 719-597-8800. We'll see you there. Bernard Carrick is coming here. 
Hey guys, I'm Jordan Sparks. I'm Chase Crawford. Hey, what's up? It's Usher. Hi, I'm Rachel Dolphin. I'm Hayden Christian. I'm Peyton Manning. Hey, we're Fallout Boy. I'm Dude Archuleta. I'm Corbin Blue. I'm Kristen Bell. And we're the Jonas Brothers. Do something good for your community. Reuse bags and bottles and always recycle. Help us collect a million pounds of food. Help people prepare for natural disasters. Do something about homelessness. Anyone could be a rock star in their community. So then do something. Do something. Do something. Do something. Visit dosomething.org to find out how. If you don't stop your friend from drinking and driving, you're as good as dead. Drinking and driving can kill a friendship. We have a big problem, and we need your help. It's happening on college campuses, at bars, at parties, even in high schools. It's happening to our sisters and our daughters. Our wives and our friends. It's called sexual assault. And it has to stop. We have to stop it. So listen. If she doesn't consent, or if she can't consent, it's rape, it's assault. It's a crime. It's wrong. If I saw it happening and I was taught you have to do something about it. If I saw it happening, I speak up. If I saw it happening, I'd never blame her. I'd help her. Because I don't want to be a part of the problem. I want to be a part of the solution. We need all of you to be part of the solution. This is about respect. It's about responsibility. It's up to all of us to put an end to sexual assault. And that starts with you. Because one is too many. Congress shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech. Do you know what this means? Do you? It means you can voice your opinion without censorship or restraint. It means you can say nothing at all. It means you can debate, protest, question, contribute, whenever, wherever. Take it. Embrace it. Say it out loud. Seven, sharing with you footage, newly released footage here of the dying moments of an active duty soldier who checked himself into an El Paso jail a few years ago for a DUI. He was supposed to serve two days. As you guys can see in this footage, he was pulverized by these police and after yelling 20 times he could not breathe this is the end result he lay unresponsive eyes not moving and they wrote this up as he died look how they treat him they wrote this up as he died from sickle cell or something like that the family outraged saying he died because of his care and their hands. So, Sergeant James Brown, rest in peace, brother. The family absolutely appalled. And you can see him gasping for air there, and they cover his face. That is 
one of the worst parts about it. But once again, without this footage, this would be swept under the rug. Nothing would be done about it. And this just goes to show this man was alive. He was not fighting them. And he ends up dead. And there you have it, folks. Um, I'm Lamont Banks. This is AJC Radio, along with Lamont, along, see, not along with Lamont Banks, but joining me, Charlisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, and William Williams. And we have been honored tonight to have the uh, the privilege of having the Anderson family, the family of Michael Anderson, who has been reported that passed away uh, with some questionable circumstances that uh, they have called, the prison officials have called suicide, uh, and the family contends and believes, as I do, that this was not a suicide, that this was something far beyond that. And welcome back, uh, the Anderson family. You folks with Thank us? Thank you, Lamont. You're welcome. Yeah, we're here. And it looks like we have another caller, and we're going to have him uh, ask whatever question he may have. Cliff, who do we have? Yes, we have uh, Seth from Florida, and uh, he has a comment uh, about what he is hearing about this tragic situation as well. Hello? Yes, we're here. Hello? Yes. Yes, hello, Anderson family, you guys, how you doing? It's been a long time since I've been on. Um, to the Anderson family, I'm a, I'm a, a death row exoneree from the state of Florida, actually the 24th person to be exonerated in the state of Florida, 142nd in the United States, and uh, it was for a crime I didn't commit. With that being said, um, I had I I done I had done two prior prison stints before the 18 and a half years, and just from seeing a lot of that that does go on within the prison system, and from listening to the call itself, you know you're never going to get your answers by calling, because if there is some funny business going on. Not, is there's there's that that shield they're going to protect each other but here in the state of Florida what we have here is um something called uh, uh the sunshine law which is a public records request what i'm assuming when there's a death in the state of Florida the the inspector general has to come in or the attorney general for that state so there there is a paper trail so by you calling it's 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 you're just going to get sent from A to B to C to D to E. You have to physically go down there and, you know, with the public records request, look it up under, you know, Google it. What is the the public uh, record request in the state of Colorado? The procedure, you would go down to, uh, you would go down to the prison where he was at and say, I'm, uh, uh, I have a public records request for the entire file, his medical file. You would find out, you would ask, okay, who is it that, that did the, um, the total investigation of the death of my son. They would say, this department did it. You would go to that department with another public records request to give me everything and anything that you have. Um, and that's where you're going to begin to start to find out truths or not. You would, you, would, you would actually find out how many inmates were in the cell, um, the names of the inmates. Did any of them give any statements? But be prepared to pay for some of these copies at like a dollar per page. You can run into the thousands of pages, so you have to be prepared. But the only way you're going to get true answers beyond just calling and being uh, a shield put in front of you, you have to physically go after your paperwork. You're never going to find out the truth by calling. It's just not going to happen. 
All right. And um, thank you, uh, Seth, uh, for that call. We appreciate that. And uh, yes. I think one point uh, that we do have uh, that we'll make here, uh, we are going to find the answers of what happened here because the prison is bound by law to produce it. And you may have to go and fight, but the fact that the prison went to the lengths to tell you, you find the body yourself, is is the most horrific thing I've ever heard in a proceeding with a death in any type of uh, uh, prison anywhere or jail anywhere. So, um, again, uh, Just Cause will be doing our due diligence uh, on this side to find answers to what we need. And we have another caller, Cliff. Yes, we have. Uh, excuse me. We have Lawana from uh, Colorado Springs who uh, also wants to make a comment. Go ahead, Lawana. Hello. Yes. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes. Uh, first of all, I'd like to um, give my condolences to the Anderson family. I am so, so, so sorry for what you have gone through. Um, I don't have the words to to say how horrible this is and how many other people this has had to have happened to that we don't know nothing about because everything is starting to come to the surface now of things happening to to inmates and to and, and to the, their families and what have you and and the something has got to change it's got to change this is just, I don't have the words. I have to keep myself calm because I get so upset. I have to stay calm and say what I feel. But this is, you, you, can't, even, you can't even wrap your mind around a person having the audacity to call themselves human beings and treat another fellow human being, inmate, whoever they are like this. I couldn't do this to my worst enemy. I could not abuse and destroy and terrify and torture another human life. I don't care if 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 if, if there are inmates that are wrong and that are losing it uh in the prison. Lock you up and see how in control you stay. Not that your son wasn't even that the type. He wasn't even like that, but when you they say, when they say well uh, you can see it before and then when they do put the put the uh, the men that are out of control in solitary confinement then they torture them to death when they're in there. I mean it's not just well he's he's out of control he needs some help let's put him away in a but then they put him in there they starve him to death they they freeze him to death they torture him they 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 ridicule him they dog him out like worse than animals I mean animals are treated better than this. They treat these people like the dirt of the earth. Animals, I mean, they'll talk about animal cruelty. They'll talk about how we need uh, people need to adopt these animals. They have no, they're abused. They put people in prison because they abuse an animal. But you can have a human being locked up and 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 might have done something wrong. Taking a person's freedom is enough. Where I mean, nobody can point their finger at anyone else because if you could be the same person. So instead of trying to help a person to get it, make it, make it, to get better, they make these people worse. They put them behind these walls 
They treat them like dirt, and then they say they're out of control. Really? You think they're out of control? You lock them up, then you dog them, you, you give them no respect, you treat them like dirt, and you, you, you torture them, and, be, and you're cruel to them, and then you want them to act normal. This is uncomprehendable. This is sick. But y'all, we, we will be praying for the Anderson family and all the um, other, I know telling how many families that have been going through this because nobody but God can stop such a cruel, vicious uh, society that's doing this to, the, to, to human beings. Nobody has the right to destroy anybody. When God gets ready to... To, to remove a person from this earth, that is God's job. That is, you're not God. It's not your business. You, you're not supposed to be in there where you're, I'm going to tell you what you do, how you do it, when you do it, and, I'm, and if you don't do it, I'm going to destroy you and torture you, and if I want to, I'm going to kill you. These people are going to pay for what they're doing. They're going to pay a dear, dear price. This is uncomprehendable. I just don't have the words. I don't have the words to say how much this, vexes me. I can't even tell you. But I know something's going to be done about it because the God we serve is looking down on this stuff and things are coming to an end. Thank you so much. And thank you for the call and to the Anderson family out of respect uh, for your time, uh, what you've gone through this evening. We cannot say thank you enough for talking to our listeners tonight. And understand we feel your pain more than you will ever know. And I want to give each and every person an opportunity, if you would like, to say a closing remark to our audience. Anything that's on your heart that you'd like to say, we give you the floor tonight to do that. We'll start first. Billy, do you have something you want to say to our listeners? Yes, I'd like to say that, uh, you know, they haven't signed off on the um, autopsy or, or the, the cause of death yet. The coroner has not got the thing, and, and I don't... Uh, Anyway, they haven't signed off yet, so it's not being signed off as a suicide as of yet. And then another thing I'd like to say, Andy really was a good guy, and I appreciate everybody who reaches out to us and tries to help us. And please, if anyone, if there's a lawyer out there that would like to take on a case, please get a hold of a just cause, and, and then they'll get a hold of us because we really need some help. Thanks. Thank you, Billy. Uh, Kenny? Yeah. I want America to understand who Andy was, the capacity for love that that man had, and the capacity for forgiveness. You know, I learned how to be a man from Andy. You know, he taught me... So many things. I he gave me a work ethic that still serves me today. You know what happened to Andy. I know in my heart was not at Andy's own hand. And you know, being an addict does not ever need to, to uh, result in death. So I I'm begging the American people, lawyers, you know. If you truly stand for it, for for justice, let's get Andy some justice. Because if there's any, ever been anyone that deserves it, I believe it's Andy. And I want to thank the Just Cause for your interest in this and sharing uh, our story and Andy's story. And 
um, to the rest of the Anderson family uh, with us and listening. I love you guys, and uh, I'll always be here. And, uh, Dr. Love Kenny, you. go ahead, Billy. Yeah, I was just going to tell Kenny I loved him, too, and that he's a good <laughs> guy. Terry? <laughs> <Okay, Thanks, Mom. laughs> yeah, I just, just want to thank Just Cause for uh, bringing this to the surface. Hopefully it'll do some good. Uh, and the people that called in with their uh, thoughts and sympathies there. Okay, and thank you for that. And Samantha? Yeah, I just want to thank everybody, and hopefully this will help get the news out, and hopefully some other family don't have to go through this, because this is terrible. And yeah. Just thank you guys for being there and helping us through this. Yeah, and you're, you're quite welcome on that, and uh, uh, thank you so much for those kind words. Desiree? I just want to thank everybody for being on the show, letting us come on and tell our story, and hopefully we can get some justice for him and the whole family. And thank you, and we appreciate that as well. And, uh, folks, uh, please know you guys all have my contact information. Feel free to contact us uh, as you need to. And uh, believe me, it just calls will not go away. And we are dedicated to finding justice and to bring that message of justice around the world. Thank you so much. Our prayers and thoughts are with you and your and your family. Thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, I'm sure uh, this will make a difference. And uh, we will fight for justice for Mike. I mean, excuse me, for Andy. Uh, he goes. He goes. <laughs> he goes for Andy, right? That's what he goes by. Right. Yeah. 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 Okay. So we will fight for Andy as we continue. To seek justice. Thank you so very, very much for sharing your story. Thank you, Lamont. Thank you very much. Okay, and we will definitely be in touch, okay? All righty, thank you. All right, take care. Bye bye. Okay, thank you. And, uh, wow. Ladies and gentlemen of America, as we sit here and ponder the question of why. And what has America come to? We are going to find the answer, and we will hold those accountable for taking the life of Andy. And we honor tonight uh, Michael Anderson, a senseless death that uh, should not have happened. Lisa, as Cliff William... um, This brings a level of outrage because my question is, how many body bags, how many people, not only of of Mr. Anderson, what other inmates tonight laid their head down in a cell, not knowing whether life will be available to them when they wake up in the morning? That is uncomprehendable. It is detestable. It is inhuman. In a place that we call America, absolutely, absolutely, it it, it makes no sense. Um, what this family has now have to, has to endure after dealing with a loved one that has been put in prison—it's just amazing. I, I, I mean, I 
I don't know what to say. I don't know what can be said. But you, when you look at this, you feel for these people. They're left with memories, no answers. They're left with the remaining moments, day, a day before. A day before. A day before. One day before. Sure. They're left with harsh treatment. They're left with find him in the mortuary. Find him. I mean, this is this is just unbelievable. To me. I, I, yeah. I just I just really just can't fathom the just inhumane nature that they have treated not only this person, but like you said, Lamont. Yeah. The the thousands that are out there, uh, the millions over however much time that sit in prisons right now as we speak, right now as we are on the air, families, friends, loved ones, they don't know. They don't know. Well, that, that's uh, uncomprehendable. Uh, Cliff, we have another caller that would like to comment on this topic tonight. Who are they? Yes, we have... Uh Joe on the line wants to make a comment. And uh, Joe, go ahead. You're live. Joe, you with us? Okay. Joe, you with us? Okay. You must have uh, lost him, possibly. Um, Joe, are you there? Okay. Well, we have... Uh, Let's go to another caller. We have uh, Wayne on the line. Uh, let's bring Wayne live. Uh, Wayne, uh, you want you have a comment about the uh, what you've heard tonight? Go ahead, you're live. Thanks, uh, Cliff. I, I just wanted to say, you know, hearing that horrible tragedy from the from the family side, it just made me think about, you know, what it means to be in in custody and when the uh, DOC takes custody of a person, you know, they take over the guardianship. They're responsible for the well-being and the care of that individual. When you're in prison, you have no rights, and really you have nobody uh, looking out for you. And for uh, Florence to um, have a man's death and to treat it so, so cruelly, I, I just I just couldn't get past that. And you know, I was, I was listening to the family, and they kept saying, you know, he was a good guy. He was this. And, and, you know, they were trying to bring that human side to him because in society, when you're an inmate, you know, you, you've lost your humanity. Um, and, and I think it's horrible that someone would be murdered, and there's there, there's nothing uh, being done about it. And, you know, that's that's my comment. Thanks for letting me have this time. Okay, and thank you so much uh, for that, Wayne, and uh, we appreciate that. And uh, ladies and gentlemen of America, tonight we reflect and we remember a gentleman and an American by the name of Michael Anderson, known as Andy. 44 years old, died unexpectedly September 7, 2015 in Florence, Colorado, was born March 25, 1971, in Moscow, Idaho, raised in Cheyenne, Wyoming since 1991, was a carpenter, built many houses. He loved the outdoors, spent many hours hunting, fishing, and enjoying hiking and exploring hunting and wild mushrooms and arrowheads. Tonight we bid you farewell, Michael Anderson. 
And tonight at ISC Radio takes a moment to ask the question, why? And we seek for justice for Andy. We'll be right back. This is IJC Radio. Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855-529-4252. Or visit a-justcause.com and click the Donate button. A Just Cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. My name is Brian Banks. In 2002, I was wrongfully convicted of a crime I did not commit. I know you hear that a lot. But in my case, it's true. The California Innocence Project is a nonprofit clinic at California Western School of Law devoted to investigating and litigating cases where innocent people may have been wrongfully convicted. My name is Justin Brooks, and I'm director of the California Innocence Project. Since 1999, we've investigated thousands of cases. Where there's strong evidence of innocence, we go to court and we free our clients. Law students and law professors work together to seek justice in these cases. Over the past 14 years, we've been able to free many innocent clients. So if you or someone you know has been falsely convicted of a crime, or if you'd like to donate to our cause, then please contact the California Innocence Project at californiainnocenceproject.org. The California Innocence Project had my conviction reversed, gave me my life back, and helped me fulfill my dream of playing in the NFL. Please support the California Innocence Project and help bring home victims of an imperfect justice system. I can solve difficult problems for a Fortune 500 company. I can run a successful business. I can manage your home improvements. I can publicize your message. I can motivate your audience. I can put my military experience to work for your company. I can teach your children. I can boost your bottom line. I can add value to your workplace. I could be a loyal and productive employee. But I can't put my skills to work for your organization if I'm not given the opportunity. If you don't recognize my talents and ability. If you don't hire me. If you don't have an open mind and a workplace that's open to everyone. If you don't realize that America works best when everybody works. What can you do? What can you do? What can you do? 
You can remember that it worked. It's what people can do. It's what people can do that matters. matters. Nearly 50 million Americans have disabilities. Capitalize on their talents with employment practices that benefit everyone. Learn more at whatcanyoudocampaign.org. And this is Lamont Banks with AJC Radio along with William Williams, Cliff Stewart, and Lisa Stewart as we bring the message of justice all around the world. And tonight, we give a very special thanks to Billy, Kenny, Terry, Samantha, Desiree, the family members of Michael Anderson. Thank you so much for joining us on our program tonight as we seek justice for the suspicious death of Michael Anderson in Florence, Colorado, prison and uh, we will continue to seek justice thank you for joining us tonight right now ladies and gentlemen of america we introduce to you a new segment on ajc radio entitled what you didn't know about the irp6 story and case tonight we dive into discussion that is critical to the judicial system and the due process of justice, which we have found missing, and this is just the beginning. Tonight, we start a new segment, and every night going forward, we will close our program out with what you didn't know about the RP6 case. Things that make you go, hmm, what is going on? Tonight, we start that tonight. And tonight, the question and the, what we put to the American people tonight, and all our listeners, what you didn't know about the RP6 story or case is that a raid took place by the federal government upon the headquarters of IRP Solutions without cause, under false pretenses, under lies, deceit, misinformation provided by the U.S. attorney seeking a warrant to raid the premises of the IRP Solutions headquarters. What you didn't know, there was no justification. Every protocol was, was, was violated. The judge signed off on that warrant to raid the premises without cause, but with false information provided by a federal U.S. attorney. Let's go to that discussion now. Cliff? Yeah, Lamont. Uh, the first issue with that is before you even get to the U.S. attorney, you got to deal with the uh, the FBI agent John Smith. That now you you look at that this FBI agent went said, "Hey, I got probable cause. I think there's some type of uh, criminal activity happening here." And he goes to get a search warrant from a federal judge. The issue at hand is that this FBI agent John Smith already knew. Because his his basis on the search warrant is that IRP Solutions was purportedly, so, you know, basically pretending that they were uh, creating a software package. He had already been to the Department of Homeland Security. He had already interviewed individuals at NYPD. He had already inter- interviewed uh, individuals at uh, the the um, state police of, of New York, and he had already basically been to Colorado Bureau of Investigation. Everywhere that IRP Solutions had done demos for this software, he had already gone 
and when you look at the discovery, you look at the interviews that he that he did, the people that he talked to said, yes, I've seen the software. I've seen the demonstrations that IRP Solutions did at DHS and NYPD and CBI and Orange County Police uh, down in Florida. And yet he still went after a search warrant. So that is why we say that the whole premise of what the search warrant was based off of was a lie by FBI agent John Smith. He already knew the software existed. He knew the software was viable. And then one other point, two weeks before the raid happened, he interviewed uh, the uh, subject matter expert that was a former federal employee named Gary Hilberry that was working inside of IRP Solutions on the software as a subject matter expert had told him in a written affidavit that the software was viable for local, state, and federal uh, law enforcement, and yet he still goes after uh, a uh, search warrant, still gets a judge to sign off on it, all under false pretense, knowing that what he was saying was a complete lie, that the software existed, the company was was uh, marketing, developing, and trying to sell the software, and yet he still persisted in going for a search warrant. William, as you sit puzzled, upset by this type of action, what you didn't know is this: these actions are actions of the federal government. These are those who are supposed to administer justice and seek justice. What you didn't know, these characters were those that crossed the line of law without justification to cripple the IRP sex. Absolutely. They, they used and abused their power. To manipulate and create a situation where they can actually go in under lies, deceit, and just, I mean, justify 21 armed FBI agents. 21. 21. I think that's the staggering number. You you rush a building. 21. This is an office building. These are corporate executives. This is a nice environment. Computers. This is not a club. This is not that kind of scenario where you you're rushing in, and you and so now you're abusing your power to basically go in, and it, and it's just it just it's just one of these situations that I, I I really just don't understand, and it does upset me because it shows how they constantly want to overstep their bounds, they constantly want to abuse their power, they constantly want to put their feet on the necks of people just because they feel like it. And William, when you look at I mean, you uh, you called out that there were over 28. There were only, I think, like like 18 employees at IRP Solutions. But this, this is an office building. Right, this is an office building. Now, when they went to Enron to basically rate them under the, the same, we're coming in for financial records because the FBI came in, the warrant stated they're there for financial records and communicate between IRP Solutions and the staff and companies that they use to provide uh, to provide temporary workers. They came in the Enron for financial records. What did they do at Enron? Two. Anybody, you pull it up on YouTube, two FBI agents. In a tower. In a, a, a tower a building. tower with thousands of employees, two FBI agents. They go up to the desk, say, hey, here's a warrant. This is what we're looking for. The Enron executives said, here's the financial records. We will give you copies and then go along your merry way. And that is what happened. Then you come to a small business 
with 18 employees, you bring in 21 armed agents threatening to take people to jail, threatening that, oh, we can shoot you. Corral them in the in the office or in the kitchen area. Corral. Right. The And, and this is not all the employees. The African-American, black. Oh, yeah. 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 Now, Cliff, that's what I was yeah. going to correct you on. What you're missing here, that's the little tidbit you left out. These are, these are black people in this company. Company full of black people. Minority minority owned company. And right. all the minorities are corralled. All the minorities Sorry, are corralled no, into, Go ahead, Will. into the break room. And basically with armed FBI agents on each door saying, even if you have to go to the restroom, you are going to be escorted. Now, the Caucasian uh, employees, when it was time for, you know, the Caucasian employees, they can walk around. And when the Caucasian employee said, "Okay, well, I'm going to go ahead and go home since you don't have me corralled in the in the in the in the uh, break room," at that point, and this is on video, we got video footage of uh, here's a Caucasian employee with a backpack, a laptop bag, and a large parka. I mean, it's February in Colorado; it's a little chilly. A large parka. He's walking out, could take anything that he wants. Go. The FBI lets him out, uh, gives him a business card, and from his uh, from his recollection what they said is if you need anything just give us a call right i'm talking less than a minute after that a black employee african-american whatever you want to call us tried to uh leave he's brought back into the building say okay let me put put your uh put your put your bag down put your folder down goes into his belongings checking it it's like what are you looking for why did you not Give the same treatment to the Caucasian employee because you we don't belong there. Oh. We don't belong in that office building. We don't belong. So we corral us. And another thing that I think uh, a lot of people miss is that now when a warrant, a search warrant is issued, the federal agents have to go to a judge and present a reasonable cause for us to go in and and raid this place and open an investigation. Right. I have to have. Some sort of proof that you're doing something, at least uh, at least something that gives me good reason to believe that. But I think what we run into are people going to judges that they know, these federal agents going to judges that they know, asking for a favor. Say, I need you to go ahead and approve this. We know I don't have any evidence. No, I don't have any proof. I don't have any reason to go in there. Everything I've seen, everything I've heard tells me that I have no reason to go in there. But I need you to sign off on this for me so I can go in here and do this for whatever reason they have that is not being, that is not being told to anyone else. They're asking these judges that they know that they have personal relationships with, hey, I need you to do this for me. And they do it. And, uh, folks, what you didn't know, ladies and gentlemen of America, is that we're just getting started with the events of injustice. This is at the onset of the intent to bring down the RP Solutions Corporation as a result of corruption and misconduct. And I'll tell you right now, we're going to continue this each and every week. Because here's what you didn't know. Justice is supposed to be available in America. What you didn't know is that it has no color barrier. What you didn't know is that the RP6 are patriots of this country, and they were sought out as prey to bring down and when you think about that we have a problem in this country six entrepreneurs 
seeking to keep the homeland safe. Let me not get into what you didn't know on that level, because we're coming to that as well. Folks, whatever you do, every week at 7.35 p.m., we will ask and let you know what you didn't know about the RP6 story. And it, well, I tell you right now, get a journal, get a book, get a recorder, because what you're going to learn on this program about the RP6 story and what you didn't know will demand justice. And I'll tell you right now, it will cause outrage. This is just the beginning of what you didn't know. Lisa, we have some folks who are the perpetrators of justice. And what you didn't know is that we have a list of those that are responsible for this injustice. Lisa, tell the people what they didn't know and who they didn't know were involved. Okay, we start our list with a U.S. Attorney John Walsh. Assistant U.S. Attorney Matthew Kirsch, Assistant U.S. Attorney Sunita Hazra, Attorney Greg Goldberg, Federal Judge Christine Arguello, Appellate Judge Jerome Holmes, Appellate Judge Bobby Baldock, Appellate Judge Harris Hartz, Federal Judge R. Brooke Jackson, Magistrate Judge Craig Schaefer, Court Reporter Darlene Martinez, FBI Agent John Smith, FBI Agent Robert Moen, Former Federal Agent John Epke, Former Federal Agent Gary Hilberry, Attorney Thomas Goodread, Attorney Clifford Barnard, Attorney Thomas Richards, Attorney Robert Berger, Attorney Mitchell Baker, Attorney Boston Stanton Jr., Attorney Rick Kornfeld, Attorney Mark Garagos, Susan Holland of ETI Professional Services, and Samuel K. Thurman. And uh, one of the major perpetrators of justice there, and... Uh, Unbelievable, the injustice that this country is facing right now. Cliff? Yes, I want to say thank you to uh, everyone in the chat room, uh, all of our callers that called in to uh, offer your condolences uh, to the Anderson family, all of the, everybody that we weren't able to get. Uh, we still appreciate your calls. Uh, make your comments out on Twitter or Facebook. Uh, we'd appreciate that as well. To the Anderson family, Billy, Kenny, Terry, Samantha, and Desiree, we appreciate you guys coming on and sharing your um, heartfelt horrifying story and uh just cause is here for you and you are in our prayers we want to say thank you to our production team captain kyle and dustin jackson of knd productions helping out ill skillers girl and the honeycomb kids in the control room also want to say thank you to our production support team they give us active i mean accurate and up-to-date information so that we can pass that on to you to the truth we know you out there we appreciate it all right and thank you for that cliff and ladies and gentlemen of america I'll tell you what, we will continue to seek for justice. And uh, I'll tell you what, the IRP6, uh, every program, every show is dedicated to them. Tonight is no exception. We dedicate this show to the IRP6, Gary Walker, David Banks, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Dave Zapolo, and Clint Stewart. Our thoughts and our prayers are with you. And ladies and gentlemen of America, what you didn't know... Is just getting started on AJC Radio. And what you didn't know about the RP6 case, get your notebooks ready, your pens, and you better have some backup because it's going to get deeper and deeper every show as we paint the picture and take you on a journey of the largest miscarriage of justice, I believe, in the history of this nation. We'll see you next time. Take care.
And now to Arizona, where a lawsuit accusing the state of neglecting inmates' health needs has gotten the green light to proceed with a class action case. That means the outcome of the case could potentially affect the conditions for the state's 30,000 prisoners. The lawsuit, which was filed back in 2012 by the ACLU and the California Law Office, is seeking a significant overhaul in the way the state's Department of Corrections confines inmates and treats their health and mental health care problems. The suit alleged neglect has led to high suicide rates. Arizona Republic has reported that from 2011 to 2013, state prison systems had a suicide rate 60% higher than the national average. More than half of them were prisoners held in solitary confinement, even though they only accounted for 9% of the prison population. To discuss where the case goes from here, I was joined earlier by civil rights attorney Michael Bean. I first asked her to describe the conditions that inmates in Arizona are subjected to. My understanding from reading the decisions in the case um, uh, are that the Arizona prisoners are suffering from very serious unconstitutional conditions, uh, both uh, denial of adequate medical and mental health and dental care, but also in the use of, of solitary confinement and isolation. Um, so it's very, very terrible conditions in Arizona. And over a two-year period, Arizona's prison system had a suicide rate 60% higher than the national average, which is incredible. Uh, is it clear that there is a direct link between suicide and the next neglect of prisoners' health? Well, well, I think that I think that while not every suicide can be prevented, um, uh, many suicides, when we analyze them, and we've been involved in analysis of suicides, for decades in California prisons, and, uh, many suicides reflect failures in the delivery of care and failures in custodial practices uh, that could have prevented uh, the suicides. So many of these suicides are unfortunate. I understand that the rate in, in Arizona was 38 prisoners per 100,000 uh, in 2011, and that the national rate in prisons is 16. So that's, so that's uh, 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 more than double uh, the national rate in that year, 2011. Um, that's an astronomically high rate, even higher than uh, the very high rates we've had here in California, which the state Supreme Court found were evidence of unconstitutional conditions and overcrowding. Elizabeth Sultan expresses the same grief as at least 19 others who have loved ones locked up in state prison. In 2000, 20 inmates committed suicide, some after being placed in solitary confinement, commonly referred to as SHU. Like 20% of his fellow inmates, Amari displayed signs of severe mental illness. It's a gray area advocates say the state is struggling to address. A growing inmate population that's legally fit to stand trial, but mentally unfit to cope with confinement. Plenty of people with bipolar disorder are perfectly competent, but they're not treated. If they don't, if they're not using medication that's helpful. They can become very aggressive or become very depressed. They shouldn't be in our prisons. They, there should be a different way of dealing with them. The state's boot the shoe law enacted in 2008 does place restrictions on when prisoners with known mental illness can be placed in solitary for bad behavior. It's 
Instead, they're supposed to receive psychiatric therapy. But advocates claim prison officials are finding loopholes in the law. They hold two different hearings. And at the first hearing, the hearing officer finds him mentally ill and dismisses the charges. And at the second hearing, he says, you know, you're completely competent and puts him in solitary confinement for six months. Just how much additional mental health services would cost the state isn't clear. It already costs $36,000 per year to house and care for each inmate. But for Elizabeth Sultan, that extra care is priceless. A prison sentence should not be a death sentence. Free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, we are free at last. 